you for listening to this message from the North Gate. We got to meet Uncle Chris a little bit more last night. I even found out more about my brother. And I'm just thankful for his story. I know how much his story meant in this house. Because it had a very familiar story with me and many of you. And even how he got connected with Apostle so many similarities and so I don't want to take up any more time will you honor the man of God as he comes to bless us with the word tonight sorry buddy I just want to be real sensitive make sure that uh, when that you feel stuff swirling and you don't want to at all interrupt. I've been in many moments in a revival and you think you're going to do one thing and many times the Lord has a completely different plan. And so sometimes a little bit of music, like the prophet said, bring me a minstrel so I can prophesy. And uh, it just helps create that atmosphere and keep it flowing. So we'll see. And we may shift. We may just go into teaching. I'm not sure yet. I do want to just be sensitive to that. Bring it down just a hair if you don't mind, though. Just a hair. You guys can sit down for a second. If you can, man. I'm, I'm just really... I felt like you, Jim, when it was just like first love restored tonight. You know, just back to those early days another key that I feel like God's giving me while I've been here is just getting back to the simplicity man just the still simplicity of just Jesus you guys are in a in a very special prophetic window right now I hope you all understand it and can see it You guys are in a season of harvest that is just beginning. You haven't scratched the surface yet. This thing is just beginning. I can remember years ago, we went through a very similar season when we were in Florida. And I was frustrated. I was tired of the, just people getting beat down by the enemy all the time and in and out, and up and down, and full of shame. And I'd watch people come and go. And, uh, and we were like legitimately with a pure heart trying like to reach our city and love the people there. And I came across a scripture one day and it was a key for us. And I don't know if it might be for you, it may not be, but it was a key for us. And it was in Luke 14 and uh, verse 12. And I was reading one day and, and this, is, this is what it says. It says, then he also said to him who invited him. This is somebody that invited Jesus over for dinner. He said, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. 
for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I read that and it like leaped off the pages. And I thought, man, like we do our outreaches and we go to the projects or the poor parts of the city and set up a grill and bring some 99 cent packages of hot dogs, stale hot dog buns or whatever we think and we're being a blessing to these people and the Lord told me he said that's not a blessing our church there you've, you've been there met some of you others of you have it was right there on the border of, of probably one of the hardest neighborhoods in Crestview and uh, so I I was praying and I said, Lord, I, I really want to tap into this harvest thing. Show me, like, show me a key. He gave me this verse and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to take your, you know, an offering to go get, a, you know, 200 hot dogs. No, 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 do this. So I told my staff, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to clear all the chairs out of the sanctuary. We're going to get tables and just fill this sanctuary as a banquet hall. I want the finest linens. I want the best plates, best forks, best knives. I want, I want a jazz musician creating an atmosphere. I want the biggest, juiciest T-bone steaks we can find. I don't care what it costs. And I said, if you're a staff member or a leader here, you're going to be here that day. And we're going to meet here in prayer, 8 in the morning, and then 9 o'clock, we're going to go out into all the holes and rugged places you can think of in this city going to pick up people and love them and bring them right back here. So prostitutes, drug addicts, I don't care. We're going after them. We're getting them. And so we did. We had a team on the grill cooking and, man, set the mood. That place was just beautiful. Saxophone playing, candlelight, lights dim. Within probably an hour, the building was filled. Nikki had her minivan. She was running out there getting ladies off corners that are prostituting themselves, throwing them in her van, driving her, driving them to the church. And this is all we said. We said, listen, we, there is no strings attached. There is no gimmick. We feel like we've been asked by the Lord to feed the best meal we can possibly provide to anybody that just wants to come. And people walking in there with no shoes, people walking in there drunk, high, there was a lady that was in there that was so cracked out. She hadn't fed her kids in a week. They're eating just scraps. She sat there and wept and said, I have never even ate a meal like this. And um, that was a key for us. Because the next Sunday, I'm going to tell you who overtook our congregation. It was all those people. There was a gangbanger, his name was Eddie. He, uh, I knew he was a local drug dealer. And I mean, we, we all kind of knew who he was being from the area. He, he came in and, and uh, at that dinner and came to church the next Sunday and got radically born again, radically saved. And um, the next Sunday he comes back and he's got like four or five of his drug dealer gangbanger friends. And he's at the altar and he's just going after God and he's, he's not letting them sit in the back. He's like, y'all got to come down here. And so there's these guys, and he's got them at the altar and they're standing there like a deer 
in headlights. He's like, no, you got to lift your hands and praise the Lord. He's helping them. He's showing them, you know. Come in the church during the week. There's Eddie with all the old intercessor ladies that clean the church. And they're just going after God, vacuuming the church. Look, 21-year-old Eddie that had never experienced kingdom family like this, never experienced the love and the presence of God. I come in the office a month or two later and I see a picture of Eddie and it says wanted on a mugshot on, on uh, our administrator's desk. And I asked Kevin Barbary, who was working for us there at the time, I said, what's this about? He said, you know him? I said, yeah. He said, well, Officer Lewis, who was also a guy in our church, he was a cop that attended church there. He said, he came by, you know, said, this guy's in the area. If we know him, um, you know, we need to call the police immediately. And I said, well, dude, he vacuums the church with your mother-in-law every week. And I said, and he sits two rows behind Officer Lewis every Sunday. Like, so I call him. I call up uh, Officer Lewis and ask him what's going on, you know, with Eddie. He's like, you know that guy? I'm like, yeah, dude, he's been coming to our church. He's been radically, like, saved. He said, well, he's been, he's wanted for murder. I said, all right. So I called Eddie. I said, you know, they're looking for you. He said, I know. I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to turn myself in. On the phone, he said, Pastor Chris, I'm guilty. And I'm going to have to go to prison and face this for a long time. He said, but what I experienced in that place was absolutely real. He said, and if I'll go to prison for the rest of my life, I'll serve God in prison for the rest of my days. We gotta believe God for this kind of stuff, man. Like, really attach our faith. Like, really attach faith for the lost. He loves them more than we do. He wants them more than you do. He'll do it. He will do it. You ask him, he'll do it. Won't he? Won't he? You ask him, he'll do it. He wrote me a letter uh, months later, a year later maybe, I don't know, and and just testified. He said, I've been here for a long time, but I'm leading him to Jesus and I'm going after God every single day. I just really feel like somebody tonight needs to know that there's nobody is too far gone. But also I even felt like during worship, man, the the worship set was a message in itself. We could have literally ended right there, gone home and like, it would have been great. Would have been perfect. But I felt in worship like there's people even still in the room that maybe you're still stuck in just a, a measure of shame, measure of guilt, a measure of man, I'd really, you know, I've, I've, I've messed up, and, you know, I'm still wrestling with stuff. How can God be that good and love me the way you guys are singing about, preaching about, describing? And like, I feel like I'm a part of the family, but I'm not really going to be used like, you know, the other guys because I've just got this stuff. Anybody in the room? I'm talking to anybody in the room. You don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but I, I want, I want to talk to you. I want your heart to listen to me for a minute. You're not too far gone. Man, when we sing songs like if if grace was an ocean, 
we are all sinking. We're all sinking. Like the vast measure of the love of God for every person in this room. Like, it's big, man. It was the foundation of your pastor when he encountered the Lord. It's the foundation of every person in this room. It's, it's what I know. The love of God chased us down, searched us out. We didn't choose him. He chose us. I remember years ago, Nikki and I were first married. We uh, didn't have any kids at the time. We were still working at the drug and alcohol rehab. And I, I have a younger brother who's, uh, who he needs some prayer now. Um, you know, he's going through a kind of a crisis time. And if you guys don't mind praying for him, it would be greatly appreciated by my family. Um, but he's going to come around because here's the thing. You know, when, when God touches you, man, that never leaves you. You can't run from that. But back in the day, he was really, really far gone. He was, we, we, when my parents divorced, I went with my mom. He went with uh, his dad, which was my stepdad. He's a half brother, but, but my brother. And, and, uh, and we, we weren't really weren't around each other for about five years or so. You know, I'd gone through my process, got saved. He was living with his dad. And at this point in his life, he was running like crazy for, for the world and living for the devil. And, uh, but this burden of intercession came on me kind of like it came on you guys this morning. Like I would, I had this like mandate to pray for him. I would be, Nikki and I were doing a Saturday night revival service. I would stop in the service and say, Brian, this is your seat. I'd pour oil on it in the seat. Yep, come on. And I would declare, you will be sitting here in the name That's of right. Jesus. And night after night, intercession after intercession, you know, moments and prayer meetings in the middle of the night. And uh, um, Nikki and I, we we were going to a conference at Christian International. My brother lived in Georgia, and so there was, you know, several hours of, of distance away from him. And uh, we were going to a conference at CI, and we're driving there, and uh, I get up, my phone rings. And it's my younger brother. I said, what's going on, man? And on the other phone, I could hear his lip quivering. He said, I'm done. I'm ready to surrender my life to the Lord. Come on, man. Come on. I said, where are you at? I was committed in my in that moment to drive wherever he was and go get him. I care if I had to drive 10 hours. I was committed to go get him. He says, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, on uh, spring break vacation. I said, I'm in Santa Rosa Beach. I said, where are you at? He said, I'm on some road called 30A, my friend's parents' beach house. Look up, 30A is the next intersection. You talk about divine providence. Turn down, he leads me there. He comes out, throwing his drugs, throwing his cigarettes, throwing all his mess, gets in the truck. We lead him to the Lord right there in my truck. We drove him to the conference and 20 minutes later after he got saved, after a week fueled of drugs and alcohol, he was at an altar with Lou Engel swinging a flag over him, <laughs> prophesying to him, you know? You just never know what God's going to do with who. I want to read a story to you. This is an unfamiliar story. that uh, f- A familiar story, but very unfamiliar 
when you really look into it about this man named Gehazi. A lot of people have this idea that Gehazi was done when he messed up and there was no hope for him. I want to show you differently tonight. Anybody ever heard of Gehazi? He's kind of one of those hidden people in the Bible. He was a a spiritual son of Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, you see this story, and I'm just kind of paraphrased up until the part that I want to read. You see this story about a man named Naaman who's a Syrian. He's a a captain of of the Syrian army, and he has leprosy. And there's a slave girl that's living with him that he had captured from Israel that was living in his home. And she told him one day, she said, there's a prophet named Elisha down in Israel that can heal you of your leprosy. So he has favor with the king. He goes to the king, asks for permission. The king grants his request, gives him a bunch of gold and silver and clothes. And and he goes with this, you know, this uh, remnant of the army and they go down there and they stand before Elisha's house and Elisha gives him the instructions to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. Kind of wrestle around that, and he finally does. And when he does, his skin is like the skin of a baby, brand new. His skin is healed of his leprosy. Well, he's ready to do what any one of us would do in a moment like that. I'm going to give an offering for my miracle. Like, I've I've just been healed. I'm going to honor the source of what brought healing And Elisha looks at him and says, it's not a time to receive. What I want you to do is just go and always remember the God of Israel. And he wanted to put his focus towards the Lord, not through some sort of, you know, trick that Elisha did. He was, I believe he was really going after the source of his heart to focus on the Lord. Well, Gehazi, his spiritual son, gets frustrated about this. He's like, are you kidding me? In his mind, we we could use some gold and silver and a couple donkeys and like some new clothes. I've been wearing these prophet rags a little too long, you know? So he slips out behind Elisha's back after Naaman leaves, chases Naaman down, and he says says to him in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, he says, my Lord, a group of prophets have come down and Elisha sent me to you to get some goods for them. We, need, we want to help them. And he said, absolutely, take them. So Gehazi goes back to Elisha's house and he opens the door. And Elisha says, hey, Gehazi, where were you? Oh, you know, over here, over there. This is what he said. This is important about relational, spiritual relationships, especially with fathers. He said, don't you know my heart went with you? He says, because you did this, the leprosy that was on Naaman is now going to come on you. And immediately leprosy, his skin that was normal from head to toe, came on him. And it says he ran out of the house. Why did he run out of the house? He had to. He's a leper. He had to find a community to live in now. Under the law of Israel, under the law of Moses, you'd be stoned if you were even with a certain distance of somebody without leprosy. Elisha literally could have called the leprosy on it and then stoned him and been justified. 
So he runs out. So where am I going with this? Because a lot of people read this and they're like, man, dude, that sucks. Like Gehazi's done. But when you really start to see the goodness of God, even in the Old Testament, man, you see that God, he is the same today as he was yesterday and then. So 2 Kings and 1 Kings actually used to be one book. It was the book of Kings. And it's all in chronological order. So if you flip over from 2 Kings chapter 5 to 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1, you see Elisha in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 1 and 2. It's a it's that those two scriptures are actually inscribing something that happened seven years previous. And it, it says that in here. It says, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and, he, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Verse 3, so we know that's given us basically a preview of what happened because in verse 3 it says, it, it came to pass at the end of the seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Verse 4, very, very interesting verse right here. Verse 4, then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God saying, tell me please all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, my Lord, O king, this is the woman. This is her, whom, her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she said, yes, it is so. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day she left the land until now. If you just read this, you're like, man, well, that's pretty cool. But you really got to read this. Like, this is the king of Israel that Gehazi is sharing revival stories of when he used to be with Elisha. This king's hungry. Hey, tell me the stories of like, what, what was it like when you were with the man of God? Oh, let me tell you, man, there was this one time this woman's son died and Elisha came in there, raised her son, presented him back, alive back to the mother. It was incredible. And all of a sudden, the mom and the previously dead boy that was resurrected walks in making an appeal on land that they had lost. He's, this is her right here, the woman that I'm telling you about. That's not the big point, though. Here, here's, here's the problem with this. How was Gehazi ever even in the presence of a king in the first place? There is no way under Jewish culture or circumstance that Gehazi, a leper, would have made his way in the presence of a king that would have allowed him in that kind of proximity. So how did he get there? I'm so glad you asked. The answer is in 2 Kings chapter 7, right in between 5 and 8, starting in verse 3. It says, now there were four leprous men 
at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come up to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. (laughs) For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some of the some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, let us go and tell the king's house. Now, think about this. It doesn't say Gehazi's name. It just says there's four leprous men sitting at the city gate. In their mind, they're conversing with one another. Man, if we sit here, we're going to die. If we go into the city, we're going to die. If we go down to the Syrians, it's our best chance because the Syrian law, they're not going to be stoned with the Syrians in their culture. Just like Naaman, you can have leprosy and still hold a high-ranking career in the army. Like we've Maybe we'll get their mercy if we go down with them. But it says on their way down, the Lord caused a sound of a mighty arming. Why would the Lord defend four lepers? Why would the Lord come in and stand up and say, I am on your side? It's one of them had history with God. That's right. One of them, a man said, I'm through with you. But God said, I'm still going to fight your battles. And they walk down to the camp and there's nobody there. This whole Syrian army is gone. And they start eating and feasting and hiding silver and gold. Doesn't say his name, but it says, but one of them said, This isn't right. One of them remembered the last time that they started moving in a selfish posture. He said, this isn't right. We can't do this, boys, because I remember last time, man, I completely blew it. And he even says this, unless something worse come upon us. Here's really what I believe. I believe this is all the goodness of God. I believe that the Lord fought his battles even when man threw him away. I believe that when they walked to the gates of the city with the treasure on the way, the Lord healed every one of them of their leprosy. They would have never made it past the gate guards. They would have never made it into the king's chambers. They would have never made it and had a conversation unless the Lord said, you know what? I'm still Papa. I'm still on your side. I'm still proud of you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's nothing in your history that will cause me to give up on you. 
Come on, and there's some people in this room. There's some people that are still dealing with a measure of shame and you're still haunted with the words of the enemy and the accuser of his voice ringing in your ear. Come on, saying that you're not ever going to be good enough. You're never gonna make it out of the trap that you're in. I came from Canada to prophesy to somebody that's not who you are. The Lord is still on your side. Shake that shame off. It's the turning of a page. It's the turning of a page. It is a new day for you. The years that the locust, the caterpillar, the pommel worm ate away, the Lord is restoring those years. And you are about to step into a place where it will look like you never stepped off track. You are literally going to have restoration in every area of your life. Every area. Every area. And this house needs your voice. These young ones need your voice. This city needs your voice. And no more words from the accuser over your life. It's done. It's done. You are a man of God. about a harvest season listen let me ask you let me ask you has, has anybody in here made some mistakes messed up come on man I, I, I got I got a whole book on the mess up God didn't throw Gehazi away in the Old Testament under an inferior covenant. He's not going to throw you away today. We already heard about it. The blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood. It speaks a better word. When the voice of the accuser is saying you're not, the blood says, but I am. I am everything that you need. I am your victory. I am your life. I am your success. And this is going to be a place that gathers the ones that nobody wants. That's right. That's right. This will be that place. And let me just tell you guys something. You have to be really ready. Because we say we want to be the place that nobody wants until the ones that nobody wants start showing up and their kids are in children's church with our kids. And they don't talk the same way as we do. They're a little rough and aggressive and rough around the corner edges and, you know, and all of a sudden we get mad and offended. No, 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 man. This thing's going to be messy. It's where we came from. Listen, there's going to come a time in this place where if you leave your purse and your chair, it's probably going to get stolen. It won't be a good idea. And you got to be okay with things like that. That's right. You can't accept an altar call without your purse from the ones out there in the streets that when they make their way in here, still going to be wrestling with some stuff. Yeah. And they need fathers and mothers that love them and help them through this. And not everyone's going to have the right motive right away. They're going to come with an agenda. 
They're going to come wanting handouts. They're going to come wanting, wanting anything you can give them. They, they will come and suck life out of you. You've got to be okay with that and say, you know what? I have Jesus. He's the life giver. That's right. That's right. We say we want revival and we say we want the ones that nobody wants. you got to really... Before, I believe the Lord is going to trust this house. There needs to be a corporate yes in your heart that says, I am ready and committed for this. Yes, yes. Because it'll be messy. All that story with that Luke verse that I gave you in the beginning, that was right before Gulfstream Revival. We started doing that. That was right before. I'm not saying we, we weren't the key or the gate that brought revival into the region. It really started at Rick Curry's church and then it spread throughout the region and we went to a bunch of different locations all over the region and when we came to our place, the people that would show up were the ones nobody wanted. We'd have people so drunk coming in, not even just, they would walk by wanting, wanting to know what's going on. On a Friday night, they'd come in, not knowing there was a church service, but all these people were here, what's, what's happening? What's, what's all this stuff going on? They'd come in, get swept into worship. We had one old lady so drunk, she fell on the floor at the altar, peed herself all over the altar carpet. Power of God hits her. She sobers up instantly, urine all over, and the people are coming up just loving on her. Yeah, Did, not on. Right. Right. Did not even care. Did not even care. Did not even care. Because Jesus is touching. That ain't for everybody. I am committed, like you guys have been committed to pray for us, to pray for what's coming in this house. I'm committed to pray that the leaders, the people, that you call this your family, your spiritual family, that there would be an elevated seat right now in the spirit that your thinking would come up higher where the voice of the accuser will not beat you down with shame any longer. If God would fight for a man named Gehazi after his mistakes, friend, he's going to fight for you. The Lord is on your side. He's on your side. Are you wanting prayer? Huh? Yeah? Come on, stretch your hands. Stretch your hands towards this man of God. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We just declare that the voice of the accuser is silenced. I say over you, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Over your family, I declare your inheritance, your children and children's children, I just declare family revival in Jesus' name. He's not through. He's not done. You've not missed it. Father, I thank you that the open door, that the portal in the spirit of angels, Father, ascending and descending on this man's life, Lord, do it in Jesus' name. Do it in Jesus' name. laptop stolen one time in church down there. I was a, I was a broke preacher, didn't have no money. And I saved a long time to buy that laptop. And I was pissed off. 
I'm like, it's one thing to steal it out of my car. It's another thing to steal it off the pulpit after a service. Like I leave it up there and I come down praying for people and I go back up there and it's gone. And so I wrestled my heart. I was, I was offended. Man, I come in here every week, pour into these people and pray for these people and show up at the hospital for these people and help these people get free and find Jesus and that's the favor I get. Lord, I, you know I ain't got no money to buy another one right now. prayer one day the Lord said you need to forgive that you need to release that and I did one day I said you know what I said I'm gonna I can't be offended if I gave it to them that's what I said in my heart so you know what I'm gonna just bless them with that. I give them that you know what I give it to you now it's not stolen it's a gift from me to you helps my heart made my heart better about three weeks later I'm up at the church and Somebody comes to get me. They say, hey, there's a guy here in the sanctuary. And uh, he says, he's got your laptop. I said, really? So I go in there, and it's a guy that's at the door. And he's a, he's a local drug dealer. And uh, I knew who he was. And he looks at me. He says, is this your laptop? I said, yes, it is. He said, somebody came and tried to pay a, a debt off for some drug money they owed me. He didn't have the money, but he had this laptop and he gave it to me. When I got it open and I started looking through the pictures, he said, I saw some pictures of some people, which happened to be my wife. He said, in my neighborhood, holding some of my family members, they were little babies. And the church van was in the back and he saw the name of the church on the van. And he said, why would you come in my neighborhood and do that? I said, it's the love of God that sent us there. That man fell to his knees and gave his life to the Lord right there. Gave me the laptop back. I said, you know what? This is not even about the laptop. This is divine providence for your life, your soul. And sat there and wept. Could not believe that in his mind, white people would come in a black neighborhood and feed people and love on them and there's Nikki holding babies and one of the babies was I think a cousin or a nephew or something like that there's some keys I'm saying these testimonies because there are some keys that the Lord is going to give this house it's not going to be through marketing it's not going to be through getting a billboard with Jimmy and Tina's picture on it we did that once we got caught in that trap one time and spent the money and Crestview got a big billboard you know how many people it brought to our church Zero. You know what it didn't do? Every time I'd go to dinner with my wife, somebody would come up to me and say, hey, aren't you that guy on that billboard? Paying all that money every month for, hey, aren't you that guy? It's not going to come through that. That's not, that's not going to be the means to the end of this word being fulfilled. There are going to be some spiritual keys that the Lord gives you guys in the days to come. There are going to be keys that activate love in you to this city to these people and it's going to open up hearts that have been hardened and closed off for years prodigal sons are coming home prodigal sons they're coming home prodigal daughters are coming home can you believe this tonight can you believe this tonight come on I don't even know what to do or where to go from here but I feel like I'm done I'll turn it back over to you Thank you for listening to this message from the Northgate. If you would like to donate to this ministry, 
please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.